Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name's Catherine Carl, and this is Season 3 of Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the blight of the youngest child there, isn't it? I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. (laughs) You're being very candid. I don't think you should share this, Ed. (laughs) This week we're talking to TV presenter and interiors queen of colour, Sophie Robinson, and her little brother, Ed Robinson, also an interior designer and TV personality. Yeah, just two of us. Two's enough, I think. But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. You know, I was like a tiger in the way I defended him. We are really close now, closer than we've obviously ever been, because obviously we're like little brats fighting against each other when we were kids. And in a new twist, I'll be delving a little further back with the help of our sponsors, Find My Past, the family history experts. Oh gosh, it's another it's another age altogether, isn't it? Extraordinary. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Sophie and Ed grew up in the English countryside, moving house often. Their parents were keen DIYers who inspired a love of a project in Sophie, who got her first taste of interior design very early. She took her role as big sister very seriously, standing up for Ed in the playground, which was sometimes a hostile place for him. We talk about that, about epic coming out stories, converging career paths and childhood vandalism. But Ed started by describing his older sibling and her role in the family. She was always a bit of a daddy's girl. Oh really? And probably still is actually. Do you think she would identify as a daddy's girl if I asked her that question? Oh yeah, definitely. So what was he like as a little brother? He was a gorgeous little brother and kind of annoying too, I guess. So, but no, general feelings of fondness and we have a really strong bond. And uh, we had a lovely childhood. It was a very, very happy time that we got to share together. I think it's always that way of having an older sister, you know, always got like the best things. And I always got the hand-me-downs. I always got like the hand-me-down car Mm. Um, and Sophie obviously had the best horse and I had the hand-me-down one, you know, which is, which is understandable. So I kind of got all the leftovers really in a bit. Oh, the blight of the youngest child there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's a very particular kind of youngest child if you're handing down ponies. <laughs> I, was trying to, I was trying to make it sound like oh, we weren't sport little brats because we had little ponies in the pony club. Yeah, you're not going to have the nation's hearts bleeding after no, though, I don't think no. you know, <laughs> I did form a close relationship with my dad, but much later, my dad had a bit of a wake-up call when I left home and went to university. He was like, hold on, (laughs) my kids, I don't even know them, who are they? Her and dad have got a really strong bond. I mean, I have two, actually. I mean, I suppose dad was a very good rally driver many years ago for Peugeot. And they used to rally classic cars, Austin Healy's, Mini Coopers, that sort of thing. And I was never really that interested in it. I was more interested in 
being at home with mum cooking and baking and and that sort of thing. I did my first road rally, night road rally, in my mum's um, Toyota Corolla. <laughs> and it's a bit like a treasure hunt night rallies. So you're not in like helmets or overalls or anything, but it gave me enough of a flavour of the thrill that uh, my dad ended up buying a, a classic 1965 Mini Cooper S and we rallied that together. He said that um, he was very close to your mum and you were mm. quite close to your dad and there was a perhaps some of the sort of gender expectations of the activities that you both enjoyed were a little bit inverted for the early 80s. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, we've come on leaps and bounds, haven't we? But I suppose, you know, when I grew up, exactly, I remember my mum desperately wanted to take me to like ballet (laughs) and tap dance and (laughs) things like that. And that was her aspirations for me. And I just was not into any of that. And I remember lots of taking my brother to rugby matches or buying him a go-kart for a while and trying to get him into you know all these boy sports and again my brother was just like not into it (laughs) so you know I think that was really hard had my I mean I don't think my brother would have been into ballet and tap I'm not saying that but had you know my dad taken me go-karting age six I would have loved it and I don't mean to get sort of unreconstructed and gendered about it but was that a surprise to your parents that it shook down that way I think for dad he found it quite difficult to kind of communicate with me because I wasn't interested in chopping trees down and you know mowing lawns and that sort of thing which is what dads like to do with their sons isn't it but um some dads sort of, some sons <laughs> some dads sometimes but it did sort of change about and I do really love all that outdoorsy stuff I do love you know getting muddy and I still do and I still kind of really love that outdoorsy side whereas Sophie doesn't anymore she does do outdoor outdoor walks but she just certainly doesn't like to get mucky it sounds like you had quite an idyllic Um, early childhood then in the countryside is that right my parents were kind of like the original fixer-uppers so they were always buying old wrecks and then dad would come home from a long day in the office and then get into his work scrubs and then that would be him disappeared up in the loft or knocking walls down in the evenings you know there was lots going on growing up so yes it was idyllic and we had these you know lovely always in these lovely countryside settings but I'll be honest we were mostly living in building sites for a lot of the time I mean I remember what a big part of my childhood not having any central heating because (laughs) that was always being fixed Um, I remember going to bed under three duvets had three duvets and a woolly hat and I used to put my uniform on my bedside table and get dressed in bed because it was just way too cold to get out of bed and get dressed. So you got <laughs> dressed under the three duvets. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it made me t- made us both tough and resilient. <laughs> we moved around a lot. So, Dad, because Dad was working in the car industry, we certainly moved around with him. We were slightly, I feel, slightly nomadic. One of the things I remember most about my childhood is we moved quite a lot. I think I'd moved six times by the time I was six years old. Um, and I'd been to, I think I went to four or five different primary schools. So um, it was all, from my perspective, it was always one of adventure. We lived in Northern Ireland. We lived in Scotland. We've lived in Wales, Bristol, the Midlands, you know. And I think it got to a point where mum sort of said, you know, it's fine to do that when the kids are really young. But as soon as you start to settle in schools, it's really not great to be upheaving kids out of school and tanking them around the country. Hence why then dad was the one that was having to do the commute. Okay. And he was, and he just wasn't around. He was around, of course, but he just wasn't around on that sort of like a daily basis sort of thing. Because he was 
working, you know, working away in various parts of the country. I think the downside to moving so much for my brother was that he got bullied. I I don't know whether this is a difference in like our birthdays, like my brother's quite young for his age and I'm quite old in my year group. And I used to march into a new school, shiny new pencil case or like, great, who's going to be my friend? You know, I was very confident and I quite enjoyed making new friends, whereas that wasn't my brother's experience at all. He got into a new school and just looked like he just immediately got picked on. Oh. And I, as a kid, I was very heavily dyslexic. So, and I think in those days, it was a dyslexia wasn't really known. It, they just used to call you thick. Yeah. Um, I remember on a report card, an English teacher did say that I was lazy and thick. And obviously mum and dad were absolutely furious because that wasn't the case. But... Um, so they so, knew. Yeah, so, they knew you so were they lazy. So they knew, yeah. I think they knew, yeah, they knew there was a problem, obviously. But I think at the time it wasn't really a diagnosed thing. No, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't. Back in the sort of early 80s. It was a kind of unkind time, actually, if you think yeah. about it. <laughs> Compared to the time my children live in now at school, it's a much more unkind time. And did you mind? Did you sort of feel the burden of those labels that you perhaps didn't think belonged to you? I remember being at school being quite heavily bullied. And I know everyone gets bullied at school um, in one form or another, whether that's, um, you know, verbally or physically. I I was subjected to both, but I think it kind of makes you a slightly stronger person, actually, in the end of the day. Mm. Did, Sof- um, did Sophie know about that? Yeah, I think she did. I mean, I think, I suppose she did know about it. Um, I don't really remember talking about it with her. I think it was all quite a private thing between me and mum. I remember a big part of, you know being in the playground and sorting out the bullies and getting them to leave my brother alone. That was kind of one of the things I did. But I found it really heartbreaking. You know, I was like a tiger in the way I defended him. Like no one was going to be horrible to my brother. Or I was either being hor- I was either trying to pull the bullies off him or try and cajole people to be nice to him. <laughs> um, so no, school was not a happy experience for him at all for that reason. And he used to run away a lot and go and hide under mum's bed, you know, under her, her covers and she wouldn't even discover he was there until later in the afternoon and things like that. So... Yeah, it was not great for him. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I think it was just because I was probably... I was always wanted to be impeccably dressed when mm-hmm. I went to school. So when we had to wear our school uniform, I always wore my tie. My shirt was always tucked in. Um, I was always a little bit shit at games. <laughs> um, certainly winter games. I hated cross-country running and rugby and football. But I loved the summer games, you know, like athletics and mm. running and hurdles. And I think as a kid growing up, going to a sort of that type of school which was very sports orientated mm. there's a real drive by your peers to be good at every single sport and if you're not you're kind of like you know picked out to be the weak one um I mean yeah but it's back in the past isn't it really I suppose I don't I haven't really sort of thought about it for a long time but I think it just makes you a stronger person I don't take any crap from people anymore I think it can definitely have that effect on people and quite right I do think there are children who suit school and children who suit life I see that with my own kids one of them definitely doesn't suit school but will be great at life yeah Um, and it's just hard to tell them that because they can't see beyond the end of school it's such a long time it's such a long time isn't it when you're in it (laughs) when you're in it but my school years were fine I mean I think great I think I'm a um I'm a gay man so um that was probably quite a tricky time for me at school growing up 
not really knowing, like, is this normal to think like this or to feel like this? Mm. I remember sort of things like fancying your games teacher. I think everybody fancies their game teacher. But Mr Thomas, <laughs> at my secondary school, was particularly hot in his um, brightly coloured shell suits that he used to wear. <laughs> Coming back in fashion now, Mr Thomas. Coming back in fashion, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think even that, and that was, you know, it's that struggle of I'm liking people, but I know it's wrong. I mean, it's not wrong, but at the time you think it is because you get singled out as a being a, being a puff or whatever it is. Horrible words that kids use. This season of Relatively is sponsored by Find My Past, home of the 1921 census. The 1921 census doesn't just tell you about your relatives. It can also show you who lived where you live now 100 years ago. Have you ever wondered who cooked where you now cook or laughed where you now laugh? about the families that have called your home their home. Now you can find out by searching for your home's history in the 1921 census, exclusively available online at findmypast.co.uk. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. And what was Sophie like at the same time? Like if you were having these private struggles with your mum or between your mum and dad and it wasn't it wasn't awful, but it wasn't super. Do you know what her passage through school was like? I mean, from what I can gather, Sophie got like really amazing GCSEs, amazing A-levels, was, you know, popular at school, good at sports. <laughs> so she, yeah, so she was like the golden child, wasn't she? And how would you just, how would you describe Sophie now as an adult? She's still the golden girl? Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. I'm accused no. of cod psychology too often. So when, yeah. when did you and Sophie become friends then? If you had a sort of slightly, um, you know, teasy relationship when mm. you were little, when did you sort of arrive and think, oh, you're cool? Yeah, I think it was when I graduated mm. and I was working in fashion for a women's wear brand in Selfridges and really hating it. And she sort of contacted me and said, get out of fashion. It's a load of, you know, it's a load of bollocks get a job at the BBC and she was working there. So she got me some work experience on a magazine. And I suppose it was then she gave me my little break, you know, my little sort of door into, uh, into the sort of interiors world. He also said you gave him his break um, by getting him some work experience and encouraging him to leave fashion and come yeah. and join you. Well, it became really obvious by the end, by the time he left his fashion degree, that he wasn't interested in fashion. And I think if you're going to make a career in fashion, you have to eat, sleep and breathe it. It's ferociously mm. competitive. 
And he actually wanted to get into TV. I mean, I didn't know any of them, but I said, I can get an email (laughs) address from someone. So that's what he did. He just sent an email off to one of the production, I think it was Changing Rooms, and got a job as a runner. Brilliant. On that show. And then, you know, as they say, the rest is history. We've actually ended up having quite parallel career paths after that. And from then on, really, we just kind of got grew closer and closer. And we are really close now, closer than we've obviously ever been growing up, because obviously we're like little brats fighting against each other when we were kids. And I think now we've just got more in common. I mean, Sophie was the first person I came out to. Really? I can remember it really well. It was a New Year's Eve party in London and he'd come along with a group of my friends for some New Year's Eve party and it was, you know, two in the morning after quite a few glasses of fizz. (laughs) I think it was New Year 2000. She was living in Elephant Castle and... I was with a gay friend of mine who was outly gay, but I wasn't. Mm. My friend said, you just got to tell your sister and now's a perfect time. And I walked up to her in this bar and I said, you know, I've got something to tell you. And she was like, oh my God, you're going to tell me you're gay. And I and kind of outed me and I was like, oh. And, uh, and he sort of said, oh, you know, I'm gay. And I was like, yeah, I know you are. <laughs> Bit of an anti-climax, probably. Yeah, you stole his thunder. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yes, I know you are, and, you know, whatever. I didn't even get the chance. And uh, she said, oh, um, you should tell mum and dad, but they know anyway. And I can li- <sighs> literally was just like, oh, my God, my whole world just sort of felt folded in on myself because I was just like, how can they know? I, I kept it so, you know, I kept it so, the secret so well. But um, <laughs> Are you saying that with a slight wry smile, Edward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think they, mamas always know and dad knew. It was just never really talked about. It was a big deal for him to tell our parents. And, you know, I really felt for him for that. And I was really willing him to do it. But it took, a, it took years, wow. I think. My mum did ask me at a young age at college and I flatly denied it, totally denied it and said, how could she have thought of something so disgusting and all this sort of thing. But I think at the time I was just a bit like, it was my little secret and maybe I hadn't quite come to terms with it anyway, so I wasn't really sure. I mean, it's still at that time where I didn't really know any gay people. Mm. It's a lot more open and accepted and talked about and visible now, I think, Mm. than it was in the 90s. And I remember sort of thinking, no, no, he's not. Because I think I was frightened deep down of what that would mean for him, the Mm. disadvantages and the prejudice that that would, you know, having already defended him for being bullied most of his school life, thinking, oh, no, (laughs) hopefully not that, not with any personal prejudice, just through protective feelings, I think. Well, you don't want your sibling to be vulnerable, do you? Vulnerable, exactly. I think that's exactly what it was. So we didn't really talk about it. I told Dad in a very strange occasion, we were on a rally in Wales, in a car rally. Yeah. (laughs) uh, As you do. You do pick um, your moments, Millennium Eve car rally. (laughs) Well, because Sophie had said, Sophie said, oh, well, Dad's going to ask you if you don't tell him. And it might be this weekend. And I was like, I need to get in there first. I don't want him to ask me because I'll deny it. So um, I, we were in this rally stage, it was about three in the morning, and we were just about to get to the starting line, and we were just chatting away and sharing a cigarette and that kind of thing, and I said, um, and he actually brought it up, he was like, oh, you know, how's college, and how's your love life, and who, are you seeing anybody, and I was kind of like, no, no, and he's like, oh, are you seeing any girls, I was like, no, are you seeing any boys, I was like, uh, no, and then it all came out, it was actually a really lovely conversation, he was like, you know, whatever you are, and whoever you're going to be, I love you still. And it's actually a really bizarre conversation. And then 
And then before you know it, there was a guy outside saying, five, four, three, two, one, go. And then it was like 80 miles an hour down a, down a racetrack. Perfect get so, out, though, from the awkward follow-on conversation. Perfect get out. I mean, it was pretty, it was just very bizarre uh, uh, occasion. And actually, Dad's been great. You know, he's he's kind of embraced it and he understands, you know, just wants to be happy for us all, you know? Yeah. And I wonder when you're thinking about your brother now, obviously things have moved on enormously and he's, um, as you say, out and very proud of his identity. Do you still reserve a little bit of that protective tiger older sister for him? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Don't cross my brother, man. I'm coming for you. <laughs> and do you think he needs it? Does he need you to look out for him like that? Um, yeah, sometimes. I mean, I'm not like walking up to people and like fronting them off like I used to in the <laughs> playground. But I am a sounding board for him. And I think because we have we work in the same area, you know, I'll go to him for advice on stuff. And he will too, because we both work in the same pond, if you like. So that's really nice. My brother is more sensitive. He's a sensitive person and he's more sensitive than me. And so I think I always will have that like heightened level of protection towards him. And how could you wind him up now, even now? Oh, I wouldn't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am aware that I can be the overbearing sister. I know that. And I think that could wind him up, even if it's just like, hogging the conversation at the table or something I bet he'd find that really irritating just as he used to do when we were little around the kitchen table (laughs) so I think that's probably his pain point that I trigger (laughs) Um, I asked Sophie how she could wind you up Ed and she said that she can be overbearing and dominate the conversation (laughs) oh yeah all the time (laughs) I'm so (laughs) self-aware how could I wind you up Sophie what do I do to wind you up? Oh, uh, yeah. We're just pretty cool, I think. We just yeah. model along. I don't know. Sometimes, are you? can you be a bit sulky sometimes? Maybe, you know, if I'm, I'm digging, <laughs> digging. But I'm thinking yeah. well, there might be a bit of, there might I be can, a bit of leg crossing I and sulking can, going on in the corner because. I can be a bit, maybe I can be a bit moody sometimes. But I'm yeah. always like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. Yeah. But I can just be, you know. Yeah, inwardly, a little inward bit seething. Inward, yeah, a little bit oh, seething. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie also said she thinks you're more sensitive than she is. Do you think that's true, Edward? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think I've always been more sensitive. Sophie's very kind of like bold and brash and outspoken and, you know, but in a good way, like in a positive way. I think it's, you know, stems to that conversation we had earlier about not like living under the shadow of Sophie, but always felt maybe slightly in the background. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And it's a funny one, because I'm actually quite... When I'm with my friends, I'm the centre of... Not a centre of attention, but I am, you know, quite loud and confident in that respect. But I suppose maybe in my personal life... Also, I'm a Ed, more it inward. might just be those mm. childhood triggers right back, isn't it? You know, maybe yeah. when you're in my company. And quite often it's at my home as well, isn't it? that we have family get-togethers, it's in my space yeah. as well, which is perhaps unusual. And we go straight back to being yeah. six-year-olds where I'm holding court at the kitchen table and you're just sat there going, <laughs> when is she going to shut up? Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I do think that, that is actually backed up by science that you can't tell what somebody is like in their family of origin, to use that sort of term, by yeah. knowing them outside of the family of origin, because people mm. can literally flip-flop from one identity to another. Mm. They can be loud, then quiet, quiet, then loud. And I think as well, I think, because, like you say, so um, you host all that Christmas, family Christmases, birthdays, parties, that sort of thing, because I just... Uh, well, just because where I live at the moment, people aren't going to schlep all up into London. So it's just easy to sort of like, you know, take a back seat in a way and just let it all unfold. Part of this podcast is, so there's two things going on. There's like your position and your little family story. But there's also the sort of bigger story that you fit in and you were kind enough to provide some details of your family history. And I have one little story that I'd like to share from the mm. 1921 census that the Find My Past genealogists have found. Don't, don't say that Ed's related to Guy Fawkes because that'll just make so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it says here that your, am I right, your maternal grandmother is Pamela Jean Moore. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah. she yeah. was married to James Henry Moore. And this they managed to find. It's so sweet. They managed to find a newspaper report of the wedding. Oh. It's lovely. It says here, Chester Cathedral was the scene of the charming wedding on Wednesday. The bride was Miss Pamela Jean Knott, elder daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Arthur Knott. It says here that she wore Nottingham lace and carried white flowers and her gift for her husband was a cigarette case and she received an emerald brooch from him. <gasps> wow. Isn't that wow. so sweet? And it, That is so sweet. Yeah. It's from the Cheshire Observer, 12th of February 1938, just before war broke out, which is kind of poignant, I think. Yeah. Oh gosh, it's another, it's another age altogether, isn't it? Extraordinary. They must have been quite posh, I think, because her parents, Arthur and Mary, in the 1921 census, if you think about the time, they lived in Highfield and Great Langall, which was a house with ten rooms. Yeah, Mum mentioned that they lived in this in this hall or this big big house, but I didn't know they lived on it on their own. I thought it was um, Grandpa's side of the family that had the money. Nobody's ever talked about Granny's side of the family. Mum did say that on Mum's side of the family, it's no one spoke about it. So Granny, Granny Moore, never talked about her mum and dad or anything like that, or where they were brought up, or marriage, or anything. It was all very secretive. And even to this day, mum's side of the family don't really know anything about their grannies and grandpas and what happened to them, and or what they did. It's all very hush-hush. So I can tell you that Pamela's dad was a pharmacist, and he worked at the Queen Mary Flint, where he was an employer. And I think it still exists. The building does. Yes. It's most likely the Queen's Ferry Brewery in Flint, and there is still a brewery there today. Wow, that sounds lovely. We'll definitely have to give past that yeah. on to mum because she won't, probably won't know about that. <laughs> so your yeah. parents, by all accounts, were mm. quite into the doer-uppery um, thing themselves and you grew up with paint pots and ladders around the house. Can yes. you remember your first experience of maybe getting your design chops as a child in your own house? Yeah, so I think, again, Sophie did it first. But um, <laughs> I remember Sophie doing a... She had a door. We had like, a little snug at the back of the house. And she was allowed to paint her the door into that, which was all beautifully done. Um, I must admit, I found, I did find it deeply inspirational watching mum and dad fix up these houses. I mean, there's a picture of me, age God, probably about three, at the top of a ladder with a paintbrush, watching Prince Di and Charles get married on a telly in the background. I mean, that's what we were doing. The royal wedding was on and we were all up ladders with rollers. <laughs> 
I mean, we just loved it. It was kind of like crazy. I suppose I was probably a bit of a late starter to it. I was probably trying to think when I was allowed to do anything. I think it probably went when I went to university. Mm. We all moved into a house as opposed to halls of residence. And we were all like, yeah, now we can decorate our own rooms. And, oh my God, I look back, it was all a bit Lawrence, Ruel and Bowen because I painted <laughs> all the walls blood red. Oh my gosh, and, so um, stressful. I, <laughs> so stressful for like a fashion degree. <laughs> and then all the skirting boards and the woodwork I painted in a black gloss. Oh, your po- yeah, the poor so, person who moved in next, Edward. <laughs> yeah, must have had a, had a bit of a shock. But it all felt quite warming and a bit like being in a womb. So maybe I was liking, maybe I was looking for a bit of care. I don't know. But when we moved to um, to the house, which became our family home, I remember Mum saying, "You can choose the colour scheme for your bedroom." Oh, and you know the the sweetie shop was shown to me, <laughs> and we went to the local decorating centre, and the thrill. I mean, it's so in my memory. I can smell the books you know, as you turn the pages of all the different wallpapers mm. and just the joy of, like, the colours and the patterns and which one am I going to choose? And I went for the absolute classic 1980s bedroom style. It was a, like, a graph print wallpaper. Yes. Cut, yeah. Fine lines. <laughs> yes. Wallpaper. But in my signature rainbow colour of blue, red, green and yellow. Uh, then with a rainbow paper border, of course, you know, absolute stalwart of 1980s interior design, the wallpaper border around the top and matching rainbow curtains and duvet set. Yes. I mean, I don't think I've ever topped it for complete genius. It was just, it was a work, it was a work of art. And I think the empowerment that gave me as a seven-year-old that, you know, I could choose this colour scheme and pull it all together. And it was completely what I loved was that was it that was cemented oh you know I've just got to find a way of doing this for a living Mm. (laughs) and Edward wasn't decorating so much at that point we just we just established yeah I wasn't really I I, I was asked like um did I ever design a room I just don't think I did until I got to university so I don't remember doing anything at the garden house at all no I don't remember you being so engaged and it was definitely I mean I was always I mean, the other thing that happened in the 80s, moving into the early 90s, I suppose, was the whole paint effects. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that? My mum. Rag rolling, stippling, marbling. Our mum was all over that. (laughs) All over that. I mean, there was an inch of our house that wasn't stippled, drag, stenciled, rag rolled. It was (laughs) beautiful. (laughs) I think as a boy just growing up, I was just always outside, you know, mucking around with toy cars and gardening with Blowing mum. Stuff up. Blow, yeah, it was quite destructive, <laughs> quite destructive as a kid. I had a fascination with fire. Did you? Yeah. And was and I liked burning things and tying worms in knots and pulling pulling legs off daddy long legs and things like that. You were a cruel yeah. child. Yeah. But I think psychologically disturbed. Psychologically disturbed. I was a bit of a, I was a, a bit of a juvenile vandal. Do you remember do you remember me do you remember me smashing up Dad's Land Rover? <gasps> <laughs> I don't think you should share that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you're being very candid. Does Dad, does Dad know that you're behind the yeah, smashing up of the Land Rover? They, they oh, were, yeah. I think they were away on holiday and were being looked after by Granny and Grandpa. And I, for some reason, I was just bored. Sophie was probably out gallivanting, you know, with her mates and stuff. And I think I was just at home and I just got Dad's sledgehammer <gasps> and... Um, and just decided so you smashed up all the uh, dashboard. Smashed it? up the dashboard, all the dials, and smashed all the headlights. 
Ed was just, Robinson. Yeah. I mean, that was... That was... <laughs> do you, but Ed, do you, do you remember doing that with any level of anger? Or were you just doing it, like, delinquently? Like, oh, I wonder what happens if I yeah. put this hammer I on so. the... Was it Freudian in any way? Like... <laughs> no, it wasn't, like, any sort of psychotic notion going on. I think I was just a bit... Just a bit bored. Maybe I think... But looking back, I think it's a slight attention thing. Do you think? Because I, I wasn't getting any. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Sophie hogged the limelight, maybe. No, I'm joking. Oh, my God. My dad used to call him Smudge, I seem to remember, but I didn't share in that. So her nickname would have been Sops, and I think me was um, Teddy Edward. Oh. If you remember the books. Yeah, I do. Of the Teddy Edward stories. Thank you to Ed and Sophie, and thank you too for listening. I'd also like to say a huge thank you to our sponsors for this season of Relatively Find My Past for digging into their extraordinary records and uncovering the surprising and often revelatory family stories, some of which you've heard today. Find My Past is the only place online where you can access the 1921 census. So if you want to start your family tree or add colour to what you know already, then findmypast.co.uk is the place to do it. Next week is model Louise Boyce of Mama Still Got It fame and her brother George, all about marrying your brother's friend. Thank you to Tanita Tickerham for letting us use her amazing song. This is a pocket production and sound design is by Nick Carter at mixsonics.com. Safe inside, only your ma's too proud. Your brother's ignoring you. You still feel safe inside. Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time, it's didn't This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.